0: Pray for us. So it was last call for laminations. By the time I'm done, it'll be last call for lamentations. (laughs) As you will all lament, having endured an hour of me. Um, If I stutter or stammer a little bit, it's because of that guy right there, Commander John Sharp, who took hostage a bottle of Woodford Reserve, and naturally I had to rescue it. So, so in rescuing the bottle, somehow most of it got poured out, and I don't know how. And Miss Antoinette, if you're going to give Brother Andre a large bottle of whiskey, give it to him on Sunday after the conference, so he actually gets some of it. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that Brother did get a sniff. So it's just, you got a little bit. I was going to crack a, a a Joe Biden joke, but he is since he is a joke. I really don't have to. <laughs> if you just say Biden, people laugh now, so <laughs> it's not necessary to actually fill in the uh, to fill in the the punchline, if you will. So, brother is wrong. I only changed the name of the talk. I did not deviate one. Iota, one millimeter, not one semicolon from my assigned topic. And I will let you be the judge of whether or not I did. So there's a term used in John Sharp's favorite subject, usury finances, to describe a bank taking something back from you that they never owned in the first place and loaned you money to buy that wasn't theirs either. It's called repossess. I know the term repossess, repossession, repo man? It was a movie that was made. Yes. That's an odd choice of wording because repossessing something implies possessing it (laughs) at some point in time. And when a bank repos your home because you couldn't make the usury obligation, it takes possession for the first time. So how can that be a repo? But they use the term repos. You see how they flip? The enemy takes words and terms and flips them and inverts them and makes them mean something that they don't, the exact opposite. So the only exception to this rule is when the bank repos a piece of real estate that it had previously repoed from some other poor sucker. Now I draw on this seemingly silly point because I used the term in this title's talk, Repossessing the Real Estate of the Catholic Mind. Actually, Brother Andre used the term. I think I gave you this this title, didn't I? The title sounded great in July when Brother threatened me at Rosary Point to give him a title. But as I started to develop it, the talk the Holy Ghost insisted that I give here today over Brother's Veto, which I overrode, (laughs) and I changed the title to the more catchy one of, ta-da, Do You Believe in Miracles? It's 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 so wonderful to have such a wonderful gallery of peanuts right in the front row. <laughs> so, ask yourself the question, do you believe in miracles? Now, everyone is going to give pretty much the same answer. I'll we'll get to that in a moment. What is a miracle? Well, what does St. Augustine tell us a miracle is? There is no impropriety in saying that God does something against nature when it is contrary to what we know of nature. For we give the name nature, nature, to the usual and known course of nature. And whenever God does contrary to this, we call it prodigies or miracles. There's no finer source than St. Augustine. So that's how Augustine defined miracles. Interesting that he used the the term prodigies and miracles. So, I'm going to conduct an informal poll right now, not to be confused with a poll. The poll. <laughs> THE poll, I'm sorry. And I'm sure that almost everyone in this room is going to vote the exact same after you show me your voter ID and picture identification. <laughs> then you can vote. Juveniles can't vote, by the way. So. Do you see the poll? Watch the screen. Do you believe in miracles? Yes or no? Or what is my other choice there, sister? <laughs> Can you be pressured to believe in miracles? So let, let, let's, let's have the vote. Voter IDs, show your IDs. Yes. All those opposed. Motion passes. Or anyone undecided? (laughs) It's, It's a miracle. Everyone agrees. The votes are in, and miracles won in a landslide. But did they really win? Outside of this room, I will wager you that miracles would lose in a landslide, especially. If we gave the old school definition of what a miracle is and what is required to believe in them. And this is where I want to start the meat and taters of this little talk here that I deviated from brother's title on. I'm going to repeat things during this talk. Exactly. You're going to hear the same word exactly 63 times. not 64 not 62 63 times in honor of sisters talk yesterday so i hope to be able to assist many catholics and others to begin the work of repoing this lost real estate in our minds the actual belief in miracles see brother i used the title see so let's get started by getting an idea of what the modern world thinks a miracle is some of you will remember This clip, so everyone can see the TV? You need to see the clip. This is from 1980, the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And roll it, sister, please. Morrow check into the boards, it comes back to center ice. 38, 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it, the Americans on top, four to three. Long shot, Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away, 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carloman shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. They let the off. Gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Salt. Five seconds left in the game. You over. believe it? In- Al Michaels has been asked about this since he said that. He actually said that if the United States was going to win the game, he had the line ready to go. And he chose between a couple of pigs flying and what have you, but he chose, do you believe in miracles? Now, I'm pretty sure that Al Michaels is in the banking business, as they say. Um, (laughs) But he actually got this one correct. I'm not saying that the defeat of the intrinsic evil that was the Soviet Union's hockey team in a hockey game wasn't miraculous, as we were going to understand it. In fact, at least two members of the team, Mike Irutzion and Ken Morrow, were practicing Catholics. So was the assistant coach. But they've never said that the win was a Hail Mary. How many of you were here in 2019 when I gave my Hail Mary talk? You like that one of all the talks I've given it's still one of my uh, one of my favorites and the point that I wish to make about Miracles is the same one that I made About the Hail Mary you should smile when somebody says the miracle on ice because that's what they call this in fact You can still buy a miracle on ice USA hockey team Lake Placid celebration photo True story so much as I argued back in 2019 that Catholics should smile and say an Ave every time sports announcers say that the home team needs a Hail Mary, I will argue here that having tens of millions of Americans calling something a miracle is a good thing. At least they spell the word correctly. <laughs> but I want to talk about real miracles, where we know the hand and graces of God actually interceded for and inspired the men and women. Of Christendom. Pay attention to these slides. They're very important. Please. There's a new book out that added lots of fuel to this fire that deviated from brothers directions. It's called They Flew. Can everyone see the cover of the book? A History of the Impossible. Charles mentioned impossible in his talk. And Charles and I had no communication prior to this about what we were going to talk about. But I told Charles when he told me what his subject was on the car right up here, after we stopped at 4th Inn's called the Colonial Inn and had drinks, that they were remarkably similar, that I was basically going to continue his, cha- basically where he left off with the stories of the fables and, uh, and, and, and fiction. We're going to pick up, and we're going to talk about miracles that aren't fiction. So I'd like to read you a a passage from the book, They Flew. It was written by a gentleman named Carlos Ira. we believe. It was an Irish, is an Irish name. The advent of the Protestant Reformation brought about a sudden redefinition of concepts such as religion, magic, superstition, and idolatry, as well as of assumptions about the relation between the natural and supernatural realms. Distinctions that had reigned largely uncontested in the Catholic Church of the West and the Orthodox Churches of the East since the first century, since our Lord, suddenly began to be challenged in the early 1520s when an earth-shaking paradigm shift took place. The change in thinking resulted from this new Protestant take on reality reality was similar in scope and significance to the one caused by Copernicus, which I believe Hugh Owen mentioned yesterday, in astronomy, but its impact was much more immediate and widespread. It gave rise to a disparate mentality that saw reality in binary terms, but drew the line between religion and magic differently, rejecting the intense intermingling of the natural and supernatural as well as the material and spiritual thus placing much of Catholic ritual in, and piety in the realm of magic. You see what they did? Moreover, this Protestant mentality also involved a redefinition of the concepts of holiness and sainthood and a rejection of the assumption that self-denial and virtuous behavior could allow human beings to be gifted with supernatural powers. I just I was blown away when I read this quote from the book because he singles in on 1517 basically in the aftermath of of Luther's revolt as kind of the touchstone of when the human race cuz the world was basically conquered for Christ there was no continent was left that wasn't conquered for Christ and for and for his church and as I'm going to flesh this out for you Ira is talking about. He, he, I'm going to give you an example. Examples as we go along, just to illustrate how severe this change in thinking is, which, which is why we want, we're counseling, repossessing the Catholic mind. Because you voted that you believed in miracles. If brothers started praying right now and started levitating, you would all think it was a CGI. A hologram, the, where's the ropes? <laughs> How's he doing it? <laughs> now, Charles started levitating. We may all believe it, but <laughs> you wouldn't really believe it. You would not believe it. You would not believe the story of Sally Field as the flying nun if she actually were to fly, and I'm not using her as, a, as an example. So let's look at, an, at a monk that actually flew, St. Joseph of Cupertino. That is a real statue, if you will, mannequin, in an actual church of St. Joseph of Cupertino actually flying. That's people go there. Now you don't see any wires there it's really, really well done. The photograph is very interesting and very famous. I, I'm, I'm not the one. Have, have you seen this photograph before? No. That's St. Joseph of Cupertino. And it's an incredible thing, isn't it, that he is here flying. How many of you have seen the movie The Reluctant Saint? One of my favorite movies. You know, Maximilian Schell is a banker, and he he took that role, though, and he actually became, to me anyway, he became St. Joseph of Cupertino. I love the scene where... He comes home and he says, Mama, they're kicking they kick me out of the, the seminary. They're kicking me out. And she takes a broom and starts beating him. <laughs> She's so disappointed because all she wants him to become is a priest. Now, so here's the interesting point. See, I'm working on the delivery because sister says, I can convince you of things. At the time of his life, St. Joseph, Joseph of Cupertino, was seen levitating by literally hundreds of people. That's not the point. The story of St. Joseph of Cupertino was believed by nearly the entirety of the human element of the Catholic Church. And indeed, he was responsible for many conversions to the faith. And here's the greater question. Why? The simple answer is this because those Catholics had not been told that the message of the archangel to Our Lady had reached its expiration date. Ponder that for just a moment. I hope I made a profound statement. That's what Protestantism did. It undid the miraculous part of the Annunciation. Miracle. They say, oh no, we believe that Mary was a virgin. It's in the Bible. Do they really? And the world, and unfortunately, most of our brethren in the Catholic Church have followed suit. This is what we wish to undo. Now, this painting here was made by the French artist Philippe Champagne for Queen Anne of Austria, Charles. And if it seems a little bit over the top, look at it carefully. That's because it is. Now, why in 1644 did Philip Champagne paint that scene with such vivid, striking, bold colors, There's no nuance to this whatsoever? Well, he did it because he wanted to leave no doubt that an archangel announced a pair of miracles. Let's return to Carlos' era for an explanation of why Queen Anne and her artist, might have been so forceful in their public piety. He was a Janus. Uh, how, how do I say it, sister? Janus? Janus. Jansenist. 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 He was a Jansenist. Apparently Queen Anne was as well. Is that correct, Charles? Well, he was, for sure. So they, why did he do this? Because they were at war with the evil that was Protestantism and what it was doing to the Catholic mind. So back to the book. As most Protestant reformers and, later, and their later, later disciples saw it, ecstatic seizures, levitations, luminous irradiance, and all such phenomena were still possible. Indeed, it didn't, it didn't in fact occur, but they were all to them diabolical in origin. So simply put, Protestants stripped God's agency from all such Catholic miracles and gave credit to the devil instead. Their interconfessional squabbling was not about the possibility or impossibility of the phenomenon itself, but rather about its source. You see what they're see what they're doing here? See what they did. Both opposing camps thought levitation was possible, but their disagreement about its causation has an odd asymmetry to it. For they agree not only on its possibility, but also on the assumption that the phenomenon had an ethical dimension to it that had a lot to do with the agency of the human will. Whereas Catholics believed that levitation was restricted to human beings who chose to surrender their will either to God or to the devil. Protestants believed it was restricted only to those who willed to become allies of the devil. Think about that. For some quirky set of reasons, Mr. Eyre, uh, Eyre continues, then the peak period for flying humans in Western history coincides with the initial development of a new materialistic way of thinking about reality that would reject all of this flying as absolutely impossible nonsense. To go back to Charles' talk about reality and about how we have flown so far and away from reality, including the spiritual reality that, yes, St. Joseph of Cupertino levitated. He flew. But there are some other points to this, and I will, hopefully we'll help flesh this out. So what came along to put an end to these belief in miracles? I don't ask any trick questions, anyone? Enlightenment. Modernity, Protestantism. (laughs) But then again, I repeat myself. It would have been one thing for the Protestants to have left all miracles that occurred uh, uh, post-apostolic age as either legends or fables. But they went further and began declaring them as being demonic acts. Now I can flesh out this polemical argument for the rest of the day. But I suggest you get the book, They Flew. And I'm not selling it at my bookstore. I just It's an amazing read. It really is very well researched. And his points, I think, are very well taken. I think you would probably at this juncture agree um, that this is a really fertile subject here. And I think it puts a pin, puts a, a, a bullseye on what one of the major, major problems facing Catholics and the human race today is. We don't believe in miracles anymore saint could fly we would deny it some people would say oh yeah yeah he flew he was really holy and yeah i knew him when he was a boy he started doing it in the crib (laughs) most of the world is going to go hollywood with this and if they don't go hollywood with it they're going to say well the demons are doing that that is look christendom here flying saints modern world here only demons can do it you see what they did They took something and they inverted it. That's what they did. That's what we're dealing with. So I'm going to give you two examples. Using first, the human or efficient cause, as I call it, then second, the natural or material cause. All right. I'm quoting now from a a book about St. Anthony of Padua. A mother having left her infant at home by itself in order to go and hear the sermon, of St. Anthony's, or St. Anthony of Lisbon, depending on whose side you're on, found him on her return dead in his cradle. In the midst of her grief, she rushed back to the church and informed St. Anthony of what had taken place. He replied, go home, your son liveth. Making use of the same words that our Lord did when the father asked him to cure his son. Full of confidence in St. Anthony, she hastened back and to her great joy found the baby up and playing with his little companions. Now, the story is amazing, is it not? Everyone agree? Kids, you, you can vote on this one. This is good. <laughs> and nearly all who hear it are amazed by the miracle that the child brought back to life. Brought back from the dead. But almost all of us, lacking the Catholic worldview, see how I incorporated the the conference theme in this, brother. The Catholic worldview that is the theme of our conference completely missed the other miracle. Okay, who spotted the other miracle? The woman actually believed the miracle would happen. She ran back to the church. Why? He wasn't a doctor, he wasn't a physician. She went back to St. Anthony. And he said, go home. Your child liveth. There's two miracles right there. Number one, how could he have known that? One. Two, the child revived. That's two miracles right there. But she actually believed his words. She believed in miracles. That is the Catholic worldview that we lack today. You might have even say that she expected the miracle to happen. That's even more profound, is it not? She was convinced, oh, Fry Anthony said, he's a, my, my boy's alive. Ran back home. She, notice she didn't walk. <laughs> she ran. That's an indication of excitement, anticipation, the theological virtue of hope. Yes, yes, my boy's alive, Fry Anthony. Fry Anthony. The woman actually believed, our Lord, when he said, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for amen, I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove from hence thither, hither, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. The incarnate wisdom. Close quote, the incarnate wisdom. Is this a euphemism? Some kind of a metaphor? No, he meant it as the Gospels recorded it. And as Christendom was being built, mountains were literally moved. The stones used to make Salzburg Cathedral, Westminster Abbey, and Notre Dame de Paris were moved from mountains hundreds and even thousands of miles away. I'll come back to that in a little bit. Here's another example, and I read from an account on the Elitia website. In 1602, Maria Fernandez Coronel joined the Order of the Immaculate Conception, located in Spain. The religious community was known for its blue habit, and she took the name Maria de Jesus. She led a devout life, prayer life, and her sanctity was well known. Sister Maria's spiritual wisdom was even sought after after by King Philip IV of Spain who exchanged letters with her for more than 20 years. However, and I know that some of you know this story, Sister Maria became most well known for what? Her apparent bilocation between Spain and New Spain, what we call New Mexico and Texas today. It is reported that starting in 1620, Sister Maria was mystically transported to a tribe of Native Americans in the New World and converted them to the Christian faith, Catholic faith. It is said that she encountered the Jumano Indians more than 500 times and, according to Desert USA, quote, "...instructed them in the fundamentals of the faith, speaking to them in their own language," Her spirit carried rosaries from her cell to give to her charges. She healed the sick and won converts, close quote. Sister Maria later urged them to contact the local Franciscan missionaries for assistance in starting a new mission. Again, the story is completely and utterly sensational and amazing, isn't it? What's the big takeaway? Yes, you in the back. The Indians expected the black robes to arrive and baptize them. That's the takeaway. They had what Brother Francis spent 50 years lovingly noting, the wonder of a child. How many of you listen to Brother Francis talks? Probably most of you. He loved that phrase about wonder, the wonder, the wonder of a child. The same could be said of the pagan Celts of Ireland because they believed and had seen the spirit world at work. This is important to the conversion of of the Irish. They actually saw people fly. No, they were probably flying because they were associated with demons. (laughs) Like the story of Simon Magus, right? Simon Magus did what? He flew in front of Emperor Janet Reno. Emperor Nero, <laughs> until St. Peter, invoking Christ, rebuked him and rebuked him back to earth. And it says in the tradition that he fell to around and then broke into four pieces. That's what the tradition says. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on, as I like to say, about saints who, invoking the Holy Trinity, rose the dead back to life. Now, a Catholic priest named Father Abair just published a book on the subject, Saints Who Were Raised, Who Raised the Dead. Now, Now, look at the subtitle. The stories of 400 resurrection miracles. Why don't we hear about resurrection miracles anymore? Does anyone ask for them? Does anyone go to a Fry Anthony of today and say, Fry Anthony, Fry Anthony, my child has died? Will you please pray, ask God to bring him back to life? I don't know. Do they? I, I, I don't know anyone that does. Do you? My point is, as Catholics charged with catechizing a fallen world, we must truly believe in miracles again, and yes, even expect them to occur. Because what did our Lord say? Nothing shall be impossible to you. So why don't we believe that? That's really my, my point of this whole little excursion here. The second person of the Holy Trinity told us, Nothing shall be impossible to you. After Pentecost and the apostles received the Holy, the Paraclete, they went out and catechized the world and spoke to people in their own languages. But that's the miracle is that the people heard in their own language, in their own tongue. We don't know that St. Thomas or St. Philip or St. Peter or St. James might have been speaking Aramaic. Or, or, or Hebrew, or whatever their tongue was, but the people that heard the apostles heard them in their own tongue. That's a miracle. That's an apostolic, that's part of the apostolic mission, right? Nothing shall be impossible to you. Well, let's move on to a second and material cause of belief in miracles, to constructions of Christendom. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this is what modern man thinks is appropriate for a building to worship God in. It's almost as scary as Salem's Lot, Charles. (laughs) I mean, doesn't that motivate you? This monstrosity was designed and built by men who obviously had no wives. You're bad dressers. And not because they were married. Who did not believe in a miracle-working God. The only thing this church produces is low attendance and Friday catfish fries during Lent. It's so hideous and yet so normal today for the 30 Susans from the parish council who go to Mass there. It's no wonder the ladies spent most spend most of their time in that church gossiping with each other and staring at the terracotta floor. Now, what's the counter to this ugly, uh, ugliness? Well, let's start with this. Take it in. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here all weekend. Which one is that, sister? Is that? It's beautiful. There's actually a question mark at the end of the sentence now. Are they going to rebuild Notre Dame de Paris? This cannot happen. This, there's a question mark at the end of that. That's not, that's not a question. It will be rebuilt. Our Lady will demand it. The angels will take the task up, but we don't do it. They moved a house to Loretto. (laughs) Pretty sure they could do a roof. (laughs) Okay, then there's this. Now, which one is that, sister? Is that Salzburg? Salzburg Cathedral. 300 years in constructing that. And then there's this. beautiful, isn't it? It almost draws your eyes to heaven, doesn't it? And, and it, the, the Latin word for soul, animas, animates the soul. It makes you think of things that you weren't thinking before you saw that photograph, doesn't it? Men that believe saints could fly and that saints could resurrect drowned children from the dead built those churches. Men who held the Catholic faith as their raison d'etre, their reason for existence. Why? Why were they here, as Charles said at the end, to go back to God, to return to God what he has placed here in the beatific vision? Did you know that it took 182 years for the first Mass to be said in Notre Dame de Paris? 182 years in constructing it. This is from the Notre Dame de Paris, the Friends of the Church, who are trying to get it rebuilt website. Construction began in 1163 on Ile de la Cite, under the reign of King Louis VII, and the cathedral was largely completed by 1345, although many modifications and additions were made over the following centuries. It is one of the oldest and most well-known cathedrals in the world, you think? How many of you know the story of the Rosetta window in the, in the cathedral? Sister, smile. You don't know it? Who bought and paid for it? Anyone? Charles? St. King Louis the IX. Bought and paid for the gorgeous, this thing is 60 feet in diameter. You can't imagine. First of all, they had to figure out if we put a round hole at the top of the building with a 40-ton roof on top of it, is it going to hold? So the first thing they had, the first miracles is they had to figure out architecturally how to do that. Now, they kind of had some knowledge of it because of archways. It is simply stunning that the king of France, you know, when he wasn't really running around like sheriff of Nottingham, the sheriff of Nottingham supposedly as all Catholic kings were, and robbing and pillaging all the poor people and shaking them down for their money, he put, he put his own money up to build the Rosetta window today that is just a marvel of, of, of architecture. It, I don't even know that they could build one today without steel doing it, and they didn't use steel. Just incredible. Did you know that Notre Dame Paris is on an island? So how did they get all the stuff from the bank to the island? And it took 182 years to do it. Okay, wait a minute. Boy, this is not a miracle worker. I assume you're looking at the P- uh, Pachamama 2.0. <laughs> um, that's not a miracle worker, but this is. That's a miracle worker. By the way, this painting is called Our Lady of Miracles. Did you know that? It was commissioned by the banker, I'm sorry, by the Jew who miraculously became a Catholic. His name was Marie Alphonse Retisbonne. Marie Alphonse followed his convert brother. They were both disowned by their parents, by the by. The parents did not come into the church, and both men were disowned. In the 19th century, being dis- disowned mean you lost all of your inheritance. You got nothing. Didn't stop him. Marie Alphonse, it's an absolutely amazing story. I would have included it in the talk, but it's very, very lengthy. Go read it. It's fantastic. So he followed his brother, a very popular Catholic priest, Father Theodore Radisbone. Now, like I said, if you don't know the story, I'm going to publish this on my Substack, thekingdude.substack.com, with all the footnotes and links in it. Miss Eleanor is not, you know the story, don't you? It's, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? He wanted to marry this count's daughter, and the count was like, No, you're not a Catholic. Not, not going to happen. So he kept pestering the count. Finally, the count said, I'm going to give you this. Put it in your hand, carry it with you everywhere you go and learn this prayer. You know what the prayer was? Memorare. O P. Ezium of Ergo Maria. Memorare. Was it a miraculous medal? I thought it was a rosary. Okay. Okay. Miraculous medal. As I said, he put a miraculous medal in his his hand. (laughs) See, for all of you Aspiring talk show host. That, that's what's calling rolling with a punch. So brother hits me with a cross. I came back with an uppercut. <laughs> <laughs> and who believed in the miracle? Now here's the real. Here's the question for you: Who believed in the miracles of the conversion of the Radishbone brothers? Radishbone brothers. Who? Well, the mediatrics of all graces believed. The recipient of the first miracle of the Christian era, her immaculate conception. So I challenge all of you to become childlike in your thought, and I have some suggestions on how you might achieve this action. There's John Sharp put this book back into print. I have ten copies coming from... Were you able to get... The books, no, okay. You can get the book on my website. Did did I have this in the store, brother? Is this in the store? Okay, well I have it on my website, get this book. And look, you can tell when it's a Mike Church approved book because I highlight my pages so I don't forget (laughs) of the important things. Action, action, just call it action. Jean Husset is the author, what, 1960s, 1968? Was a series of essays, I think. It, it, and, and no, it, was, it just came out as a work. It's an. The book is incredible. It's kind of commercial. You can also buy it won't. In <laughs> it's an anniversary gift, John. <laughs> it's an incredible book because it's all about doing stuff. It's about doing things. Conferences are great. Now go out and do it. Congresses are great. I host one every year. Go out and do it. You have to go out and do it. You have to have action. And Hussein explains why you have to action. To me, the most profound point that he makes in the early chapters of the book, and I haven't finished reading it yet, is the point: we don't understand the enemy. You don't understand the enemy. If you understand the enemy, you study the enemy and his methods, then you will be able then to formulate in your Catholic worldview a battle plan against it. And it does take action, which is his point. So, all of you are now Crusaders. I knight you all Crusaders. And if you repeat each of these exercises, I'm going to give you exactly 63 times you will believe in miracles, and the complete and total humiliating defeat of the enemy becomes possible. And that's what I want. I want the enemy beaten. Don't you? I don't want him just beaten. I want him humiliated. I want him crushed. Like she crushes with her heel. Kalks Maria. She crushes with her heel the head of the serpent. So, one, pray for an actual miracle. And these are just my suggestions. You are free to ignore them as My wife does. (sighs) And my children. (laughs) Be specific about the miracle and believe it will actually occur. And do it 63 times. (laughs) Learn the stories of actual miracles, commit them to memory, become their evangelists, and share them with everyone you meet, friend, family, or frenemy. So internalize the miracle stories. Know all the parts. Don't get a rosary confused with a miraculous medal. <laughs> 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 and, and tell them to everyone who will listen. So I just ask you to pray, one. Then I ask you to hope. And fi- finally, per St. Pio. And by the way, don't call him Padre Pio. It's, it's an insult. He's Saint Pio. They they're trying to like they're trying to secularize the man because they like his image. It's Saint Padre Pio. The church said he's a saint. He's a saint. He's not some Italian priest that, you know, got these these wounds or what have you, as they like to describe it. And that movie that that's about him is awful, by the way. Don't watch it. The one of Shia LaBeouf and it saved your time. Don't go. It's awful. Um but you, St. Pio. What was the third St. Pio suggestion? Pray, hope, don't worry. don't worry. Really, that's the Catholic worldview. If you trust that you're in a state of grace and you're trying to stay in a state of grace, and you do what our Lord said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice and all these things will be granted unto you, then what do you have to worry about? I mean, St. Pio was correct. Don't worry. One of my favorite stories is, uh, and I often wonder about this, and I would love to have met her, is Lorraine Warren carried a relic of Saint Pio around in her pocket with her when she here, here in New England, when she would combat these these these, appar- these demonic apparitions that would that would occur, and she said that she wouldn't even go into a, she wouldn't even go into a house where there was a child possessed or someone was possessed or there were things removing, moving, flying. She wouldn't even go into the house without her Saint Pio relic. That's She actually believed in the miracle of of the relic of sacramentals, right? So pray, hope, and don't worry. That's my message to you. Believe in miracles. They actually do and will occur again. And now let's close with a quote, as I love to always close all of my talks with Chesterton. And this is just spot on. He understood this. And this is from the book, Orthodoxy. How many of you have Orthodoxy? Quote, this is always why the new novels die so quickly and why the old fairy tales, Charles, endure forever. The old fairy tale makes the hero a normal human boy. It is his adventures that are startling. They startle him because he is normal. But in the modern psychological novel, the hero is abnormal. The center is not central. Hence, the fiercest adventures fail to affect him adequately. And the book is monotonous. You can make a story out of a hero among dragons, but not out of a dragon among dragons. The fairy tale discusses what a sane man will do in a mad world. The sober, realistic novel of today discusses what an essential lunatic will do in a dull world. Thank you very much.